When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Join me for insightful conversations and interviews about our cattle industry. Here we discuss the shared struggles and successes of this life we've chosen as ranchers. Here, we seek to learn from the experts around us, eager to grow and challenge the accepted. Here we are, the Black Hereford Chronicles. In this business, we talk a lot about heterosis. At the end of the day, as a seed stock producer, it's what we're offering our customers. The commercial cow-calfman needs calves full of it to be profitable. And it's what Black Herefords offer, the ability to keep that multi-breed bull rotation on your cows and limit color discounts. Heterosis plus color. But what really is heterosis? And how can both the commercial and the seed stock sides best take advantage of it? If we're going to talk about it all the time, it should be more than a marketing slogan. It should be something that we understand deeply. I brought in Dr. Bob Weber, K-State professor and executive director of BIF, to talk about his favorite topic, heterosis. And boy, he is a wealth of knowledge. I am so extremely tickled that I got to tap into that for a little bit. Let's dig in. This show is supported by the wonderful Walters Cattle Farm down in Kentucky. Walters Cattle is home to Robert and Sandy Walters, who have been long-standing supporters of all things American Black Hereford. They've got legacy bloodlines and a commitment to the breed and really are an operation and, frankly, a wonderful set of people that you should be familiar with. Their muscling and depth are traits your cattle should be better acquainted with. You can find Walters Cattle Farm on Facebook or give Robert a call at 270-832-1180. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Black Hereford Chronicles. Um, I've got a guest today that's so full of information that I just want to dump right in and, and make sure that he's got all the time he needs to share all of his knowledge. Will you introduce yourself and give our audience a background? I'm sure once you say your name, everybody's going to go, oh, I know who oh, that is. Great. But give us your full background. Great. Well, Jennifer, thanks uh, for the opportunity to join uh, both you and, and your audience today. Uh, my name is Bob Weber. And uh, I'm a faculty member here at uh, Kansas State University, and I've been here since uh, 2011. Um, Initially worked in a a beef uh, cow-calf extension and genetics uh, research position here at K-State. A couple of years ago, I took a kind of more of an administrative role, but stay uh, pretty engaged in the beef genetics community. And uh, one of my favorite things is to, to work with uh, seed stock and cow-calf producers on uh, genetic improvement and breeding programs. Uh, uh, as one of my service roles here at the university, I'm also um, the executive director for uh, the Beef Improvement Federation. So um, uh, stay uh, uh, abreast of uh, you know what, what our genetic improvement uh, partners at breed associations and, and other groups are, are working on and 
um, kind of help drive uh, the, the beef in improvement mission, if you will, uh, and, and uh, a couple of uh, important resources there, the BIF guidelines that, that we um, now migrated to a, a digital platform. So it's a, a wiki platform. So anybody that's interested in learning more about uh, kind of standardization of genetic improvement, that's a great resource um, for them to, uh, to go to, as well as kind of help uh, uh, manage and, and host our annual uh, BIF uh, research symposium. Symposium, uh, which is really a, an industry and producer-focused um, uh, thought leader kind of meeting uh, that moves around the country and, and internationally a bit. We just had our, our meeting this year uh, was in uh, beautiful Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Well, I know that we've got a lot of members who are very interested in BIF and, and follow you and have some attendance there. So I will make sure that we link to the BIF guidelines Great. in the show notes as well, because what a wealth of knowledge. So today, I want to focus in on heterosis, and I want to start super basic. It's something that we all talk about on the seed stock side. How do we provide this to our customers on the cow-calf side? How do we maximize this for our calves? So I want to start at the very beginning, because even though we talk about it, I'm not sure we understand exactly what it is. And I know that there's times where I get confused. So very basic building blocks. What is heterosis? Great. Well, I think, um, um, yeah, always good to start at the beginning and, and don't assume um, uh, any knowledge base, right? And so make sure everybody's on the same page before we go to the, the more advanced topics. And, and I'm uh, uh, glad to uh, uh, kind of step us through that a little bit. Um, you know, a real sort of general um, definition of, of heterosis from kind of an applied perspective is the extra little boost of performance you get um, in the phenotype of an animal because they are made up of two or more breeds. Okay, so that's a, a real simple kind of working definition. Um, and there's a couple of pieces in that that are really important, right? It's um, due to having different breeds engaged, right? So you don't get any heterosis from within breed, no matter how far, you know, divergent in the pedigree you might get. Um, by definition, heterosis is generated by crossing breeds. Okay. so that's And I a, think that's important what you just said there, even because yeah. you do hear people talking about, well, this is an outcross. This is, this is not a commonly used line. So yeah. you'll get some and, heterosis out of that. And, and I think it's good to smash that. No, yeah. no, you and, won't. Yeah. So it's, you know, if you, if you cross Angus and Red Angus, those are two different breeds, but the breed part is a man-made construct, right? Right. Um, and they're from the same derivative source, and they're not generationally far enough to have diverged genetically to generate heterosis. Same for, you know, Horned Hereford and Polt Hereford. For right. You don't get any heterosis from that. Um, the, um, uh, the other bit uh, that uh, I want people to think about is... Um, particularly as, as a cow-calf, a commercial cow-calf producer, um, phenotype pays the bills, right? So um, if we think about the performance of, you know, a group of calves or the maternal performance of a group of cows, um, phenotype of, of that animal is is what, what gets things done. As um, managers or uh, breeders, if you will, um, we get to define what the genetic inputs are um, into that cow herd. Um, and, and to produce calves. And so um, I want to take us through the, uh, the the real simple, everybody's heard, you know, phenotype is genetics plus environment. Okay. Um, and that, that that's true. Um, but we can take the genetics part and divide it really into uh, 
there's more than two categories, but the two categories we're going to focus on are the additive and non-additive uh, components. Um, so the additive part of uh, genetics in this realm is what we use EPDs to select for, our selection index, right? So it's the bit that's transmissible from parent to offspring um, directly. Okay. Um, the non-additive part, which is animal breeders speak for um, things that aren't transmitted directly from parent to offspring, um, but have genetic effect nonetheless. And so heterosis actually is the, when we say non-additive, that's typically what the animal breeders mean is the heterosis or hybrid bigger component. And that is a function of the construct of the breeding system, right? So it's not individual animals per se. It's did I design a breeding system so I manage breed fractions uh, in a way that I generate a heterosis. And as commercial cow-calf producers, um, we need to focus on both those components of genetic improvement. So the additive bit, so continuing to use uh, you know, EPDs and selection index to derive or to drive our um, uh, selection strategies. And I hesitate to say uh, genetic improvement because sometimes that that seems to imply that we're trying to maximize all of these things. Um, that, that is, I think, not the case typically, particularly in you know environments where you grew up um, in, in Eastern Colorado or ranched in Western Colorado, where I grew up in Southern Colorado. Um, forage is a limiting factor. And so optimization of genetic merit is, is the objective, not maximization um, for traits like growth and lactation and so forth. Um, so we want to use uh, use the tools we have available to get the optimal level of genetic potential in, in our selection. Um, and that can be different between um, you know, what we're building replacement heifers to do versus maybe a terminal type group of calves um, and so forth. But we use EPDs and index to drive additive selection. The non-additive or heterosis part, we have to think um, a layer above that and think about, well, what are the breeds um, that we're introducing into our cow herd? Um, what is the, the structured system we're going to use um, to make sure that we manage breed fraction uh, in a way that optimally generates uh, heterosis in our production system? And um, that's the layer I oftentimes um, hear producers uh, bemoan um, and, and complain about is, is that we can make that really complicated um, or we can make it very simple. Um, and in, in many ways, and we can talk about um, sort of the, the strategies for building these systems um, in a little bit, um, but they are um, in many ways sort of management and size constrained a little bit. So there's there's things that make sense for large operations to do. Um, and there's things that make sense for small operations to do. And you know, depending on people's level of management and commitment to, to managing those things, different things make sense. So there's not a, uh, unfortunately, a one size fits all solution here, uh, either from a, a breed selection standpoint um, or from a breeding system um, uh, perspective. Well, I want to ask, I heard you use the word earlier, well, words, hybrid vigor. Mm -hmm. Are those two, are hybrid vigor and heterosis, are they truly interchangeable? Because we hear oh, them. Yep, Syn synonyms, they're the same thing. Yep. Perfect. So why does heterosis occur? What's going on that's giving that extra punch? Yeah, good Good question. And there's... Um, um, one one of the the sort of the the theories is that it's actually recovery of inbreeding depression, 
Okay, so if you think about the formation of breeds, I mentioned earlier, those are man-made constructs, right? Right. Um, and so um, let's take, you know, I'm, I'm a Hereford breeder. Let's take Hereford as an example. When Herefords were uh, developed um, in uh, in England, um, there were a few select animals that were identified as this is going to be the base of the breed, and they were mated together from there forward, right? And so um, in that process, when you start with just a few animals, um, Inbreeding can actually get quite high initially um, in that population. And uh, as you remember back in the animal breeding course some of us took in college, um, inbreeding accumulates until you crossbreed or outbreed, right? So, But it's uh, only inbreeding when it doesn't work, right? It's line breeding right, when it's, it's okay? Line breeding when it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you learned well. Um, the... Uh, um, uh, but inbreeding uh, in, in breeds um, accumulated at some level as the base population was built, and then we try and manage that. But even in well-managed pedigrees uh, in seed stock operations, it's not uncommon to have um, the rate of inbreeding increase 2 3 4% per year. Um, and as we select for animals of certain types and kinds, we have a tendency to draw towards those pedigrees. And so you may hear uh, producers talk about an outcross. Well, an, an outcross sometimes is the, the words we use to describe an animal that comes from a relatively unconnected or distant pedigree structure from everything else we've been doing, right? Or everything else the rest of the breeders have been doing. Um, that helps us manage um, uh, inbreeding um, within pedigree or within uh, breed population, um, but it does not um, generate heterosis. So it's it's this within breed sort of idea. Um, so, you know, your, your question was, well, what What's the sort of genetic mechanism that creates this hybrid vigor? And it's really, um, uh, you know, conventionally thought that it's this recovery of, of inbreeding depression. Um, there is some uh, also you could think about it as, um, uh, you know, dominance effects um, in, in the population. So if you've got, you know, genes or alleles floating around in one breed that happen to be um, uh, dominant to the ones in another breed, um, some of that effect going on as well. So there's there's some some different ideas related to that, and certainly genomics technologies are, are helping us um, figure out some of that. Um, but we've got a long ways to go to understand the the real basic mechanisms um, of uh, you know, what's the the genetic cause, if you will, of of heterosis. Um, that said, um, heterosis and hybrid vigor in in beef cattle is is one of the more researched um, topics. And so it, it's not a new idea, right? So the um, um, you know work actually at Fort Robinson, um, uh, Cook and others uh, back in the um, 50s and 60s did work with uh, Hereford and Shorthorn cattle. Um, that work evolved into you know a large um, uh, what was called the germplasm evaluation and subsequently germplasm utilization work at the U.S. Meat Animal Research Center uh, in Clay Center, Nebraska. And so in the early 70s, uh, those projects were undertaken. Um, to both document the additive differences between breeds for economically important traits, but then also to sort of understand how we generate heterosis and how we retain heterosis um, in, in various breeding systems. So, you know, famous guys, Bob Cook, uh, Larry Cundiff, um, uh, others uh, were, were sort of the, the foundational researchers in, in that space. And so it is, it's a very well documented uh, set of effects. Um, and, and important ones as, as cow-calf producers that we leverage um, in, in our production system. Well, and I think some of that research, if we could go back in time 
genetically on some of these herds, like my family's herd that is in its fifth generation, if you could go all the way back and DNA what's been going on with these cows in the 60s and 70s, I think things got kind of wild as they were trying to to figure out how this heterosis was going to work and how to maximize it. I mean, the breeds that my family was bringing in in those years, it, it was interesting. Yeah. So, and, and there's certainly, and, and I was lucky, my, my family, um, uh, commercial cow cow producers, we had a, a very um, structured two breed Angus Hereford rotational system. And I, growing up, I just thought that was the way of the world, right? I thought that was what right. everybody, um, until, you know, you, you have to go, you know, gather um, some strays off the neighbor's place and go, holy smokes, what are those? Right. right. Um, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I think if you look back in time, you know, the introduction of the continental European breeds in the 70s and early 80s, you know, they gained a lot of popularity. They generated a ton of growth and heterosis in the calf product. Um, but we were pretty, as breeder, we, big we, all of us, right, undisciplined in our use of that genetic diversity. And so one of the things I really try and emphasize to producers, if you're going to go down the crossbreeding path, which I encourage people to do, um, you have to be disciplined. Um, otherwise, you can create a gigantic mess, um, and it takes you literally a decade or two to recover from that. And so, you know, I, yeah. I think you know, as, as you look at our our nation's cow herd, um, when we went through the '70s and '80s, the commercial sector, man, it was a little bit of a mess, right? I mean, their rainbow cattle were it was a real thing, right? Yes. Um, and uh, uh, making sure that as as we go back into, and I think there's a, an elevating discussion from commercial producers, um, uh, and and I think part of it driven by you know sustainability sorts of stuff, kind of and, and feed cost and cow cost. Mm-hmm. It's everybody thinking about efficiency, and so everybody's going, well, you know, how do I really go back and make maternal cows? Um, and um, you know, there's guys like Matt Spangler and I have been beating the, the heterosis drum for a while. Um, to leverage, particularly maternal heterosis, um, as a as a, a key tenant for profitability in, in cow calf operations. Smith Black Herefords are out to produce superior Black Herefords with outcross genetics, working for both the purebred and commercial cattlemen. They're bringing cattle that carry that added eye appeal to compete in the show ring and in the pasture. Smith Black Herefords are achieving this by focusing on what they call the three P's model when making selections. Every animal must have great performance, excellent phenotype, and an elite pedigree. And those pedigrees are ones you should know about. See Triple Your Miles 8124, SBH 7132, Al Capone 1970, SBH 18U92, Crosswalk 24ET, an SBH American Gangster 71ET should be on your research list. There's a few ways for you to get to know the big things happening at Smith Black Herefords. If you're headed to the Royal this weekend, make sure you swing by their spot. They'll have a few on display and would love to chat about their program and Black Herefords. But the big Smith news, and get out your calendar so that you can mark this down, is the upcoming signature Black Hereford sale on December 10th. The signature sale will be online through Ag Sale Day and features not only Smith Black Herefords, but a few special guests. 
In addition to great cattle, the Smith family is also offering a junior member incentive program on the open females selling during the signature sale. You can find Smith Black Herefords at smithblackherefords.com, on Facebook, or give them a call. You can reach Jacob at 641-521-9947 or give Mark a holler at 641-521-0797. What is that benefit of heterosis that you're going to see? Yeah, great, great question. And I should go back and uh, for when I was, you know, on the extension roadshow, um, I routinely kind of updated what my, you know, the Bob Weber estimate of the value of heterosis was to mm-hmm. commercial producers um, from various system implementations. I haven't done that in a while, um, but we can talk about the, the the numbers in terms of phenotypic performance, if you will, and then um, you know we can we can probably extrapolate a little bit to um, you know what that means in terms of of revenue. But um, you know, we we like to divide up the the heterosis effects into into sort of two camps, um, and there's really three. And we can, we'll we'll t- I guess talk we can talk about all three of those. Um, there's individual heterosis, so that's heterosis expressed by a calf. Um, so in in that case, oftentimes it's easiest to think about um, that calf as the result of two purebred or full blood parents of different breeds. So there's no heterosis in the parent stock. Um, but the calf is uh, composed of, of two breeds. Um, and in that case, um, you know, we're, we're typically focused on, um, you know, things like uh, growth performance uh, and efficiency. And uh, if, if we go look at, um, you know, what that means, it's, it's typically, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, um, you know, a four or five percent increase in weaning weight performance um, uh, from those um, calves, um, you know, if they're Bostars breeds, so typical, you know, British and continental breeds. Um, an important thing to note is um, if, if you mix um, Bostaris um, with Bos Indicus, so Brahmin influence genetics, um, Brahmin are very distantly related to, um, uh, so, you know, the Brahmin breeds as a group, so Nalore, um, you know, American. Brahmin. Um, there's some others that fall in that category um, that are in the in the Boss Indicus group. Generate about three times the amount of heterosis as a Bostaris Bostaris cross do. Um, so they they actually add a lot of um, of heterosis um, uh, to the mating system. Um, but if you look at um, the um, uh, you know calving rate of um, uh, you know, F1 calves, for example, um, about um, a four percent increase. Um, so they've got better in utero survival, uh, survival to weaning, about a two percent improvement. Um, uh, weaning weight, um, we, you should say, you know, birth weight. You actually get so uh, heterosis has its tendency to to increase. You can think about it as increased rate of maturity, right? So they're they're growing faster, so they reach puberty earlier, they reach weight points earlier in their life. Um, we do see a little increase of about a two pound increase in birth weight because um, the birth mm-hmm. is a growth trait too, right? So um, it's just happens to be day zero. So if you go back in gestational time, they're, they're growing a little bit faster, even uh, in utero. So is there a connection there as well with a uh, decreased pregnancy length? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah, gestation length um, can tend to be a little bit shorter because those calves get faster, right? So the cow, it senses it's time to calve earlier. Yeah, good good connection there. Um, 
you know, yearling weight, uh, also about a 4% increase. Um, average daily gain, um, uh, about a 2.6% increase. So, you know, individually, not particularly large um, uh, percentage increases uh, from, you know, producing these crossbred calves. Um, and in fact, if you go um, and look in, in particularly the Clay Center data, they've done as good a job as anybody um, documenting where does the economic value of, of crossbreeding come. Um, it is not in crossbred calves, uh, surprisingly enough. Um, because we have these small increases, they're, they're none of them individually that big. Um, you know, certainly changes in you know survival uh, as a percentage of, of value contribution to a ranch's uh, P&L sheet um, is big, right? You know, if you change, particularly today, you know, if you change, if I could sell three more calves per hundred um, in today's weaned calf market, yes. you know, that's forty five hundred bucks or something crazy, right? Um, so um, it, it can have a, a pretty substantial aggregate impact. Um, but the real value actually comes from um, having crossbred cows. In fact, um, you know the the Clay Center estimates say roughly about two thirds of the economic value uh, or benefit of crossbreeding systems comes from having crossbred cows, um, and most of that benefit comes from uh, improvement in really two things. One is is reproductive rate, right? So crossbred cows get pregnant better, um, they stay pregnant, they calve better, um, they wean heavier calves from a maternal perspective about 4%. Um, uh, and and not unimportantly, they also last uh, on average about a year and a half longer um, in the production system. So if you put straight bred and crossbred cows under the same management in the same herd, the crossbred cows outlast the straight bred cows about a year and a half. So um, you should be thinking, okay, now, um, I've generated um, more product, right? So I have crossbred cows that wean off heavier calves. They wean off proportionally more of them, but I also have less replacement costs, right? So I generate revenue, additional revenue from the crossbreeding system, um, but I also have less replacement female requirement, um, which also adds to revenue, right? Because the call heifers go to town um, with their steer mates, um, and then I have the opportunity to not incur replacement heifer development costs uh, associated with those um, those females that I didn't have to produce. Um, and that extra year and a half of production adds just by itself uh, in, in the old data, um, about 600 pounds of calf weaning weight um, to that cow's lifetime productivity on average, um, plus all the additional that she gained through individual trade attribute, right? So um, it's a, a huge change in um, economic performance um, of the commercial herd uh, because of, uh, of that increase. Um, you know, I've got a, a little numerical example I put together when I worked at, at the University of Missouri. Um, uh, I had uh, <laughs> a new, new professor, right? I'm, I'm talking to, to cow-calf producers at, at a level that, you know, you look out and you get deer in the headlights look back. And I was bemoaning that to my uh, twin brother, Dave, on the way home from a meeting in North Missouri. And he's like, dude, you got to make an example that people can understand. Okay, message received. So I went through and I figured out, you know, if you had 100 cows um, and and did a crossbreeding system, uh, so made F1, had F1 cows, made it to a third breed bull. So kind of maximizing breed complementarity and, and heterosis. How does that look compared to a, a straight breeding system? And uh, at the end of the day, um, 
those, uh, if you go through and calculate out using clay center estimates um, for increases in performance uh, and maternal performance, um, the straight bred cows would on a 10 year time horizon, uh, in my example, I think I used 550 or 575 pound average weaning weight calves. Um, the, the straight bred cows would have produced right at half a million pounds of, of calf weaning weight. And this was in all terminals. So we're selling all the calves. Um, the crossbred cows would have produced just short of 600,000 pounds of calf weight in that time frame. So I get the advantage of, you know, additional calves to market, heavier weights, better reproduction, all that stuff. Um, and so, you know, if you go and put the, put the math to it, you know, back when, you know, calves were, um, you know, worth a buck and a half or a buck 60, um, it was pretty easy to demonstrate about $150 per cow per year advantage um from the crossbred cows versus straight bred cows which is a lot right if you right. go and look at cattlefax uh cow calf producer data uh from their survey um 150 bucks moves you from the bottom quartile of profitability to the top quartile of profitability and arguably you know fairly focused professional cow calf producers if, right. if you look at the broader population of um you know small to large producers um, it probably moves you even percentage wise, uh, even further. Um, and, and that, that number, you know, if you think about, um, 150 bucks per cow, even on a hundred cows, um, you know, back when I, I made the example, you could go through and figure out that, you know, that, that difference, um, would generate enough money in a four year time period to buy a brand new Dodge Ford Chevy crew cab diesel, <laughs> all the trim, um, pick up every four years cash. That's the value difference on a hundred cows. Okay. Now, of course, uh, I don't know if anybody's priced a new Dodge Chevy Ford <laughs> diesel pickup, but the number starts with a nine often uh, if you got any kind of trim with it. And so, you know, it might take you, but you know, calf prices now, you know, we're, we're knocking on, you know, upper $2 range for five weight calves. Um, you probably still could do it in four or five years with the the, the current um, uh, calf pricing, and even though trucks are a lot more expensive. But the the point here is is that it's real money, right? It, and I think one of the challenges producers have when they think about crossbreeding systems is it's really hard to visualize what's happening, right? Because almost nobody goes and says, "Okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to put a hundred head of straight bred cows over here." And I'm going to put 100 head of crossbred cows over here, and I'm going to manage them in parallel for the next 20 years. Nobody does that. We don't even like to do that in research, right? Nobody's got 20 years of time horizon to, to mess with this experiment. That's why the work that the guys did at Clay Center is so important to us as an industry is we can take the knowledge and apply it um, in, in our operation. Um, the other thing that to, to think about, and I, I always get in, in, in a little bit of, of – of, you shouldn't say hot water, warmer water, um, is, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, end product focus in our business, right? And um, the, the reality is, is that, yeah, we have to build a product that our consumers want to eat um, and that's profitable for everybody in the in the chain, okay? And, that, and I completely get that. Um, the reality is, is that we can do that um, in a breeding system that leverages heterosis. Okay. We can use all the additive tools and breed complementarity, um, to still build really high quality beef products, um, that are profitable. 
Okay, and so we can we those aren't mutually exclusive sorts of events. Um, we do not have to straight breed to to make really high quality beef. We can use the tools at hand um, to do that. Does that mean we got to be a little more thoughtful about what we do and how we do it? Yes. Um, is the uh, opportunity worth the investment? Yes. Um, so if if and and I think there's a, a trend if you go and look at you know, large operations um, that are really focused and, and sell particularly a weaned calf product, um, but even some that, that retain ownership through the feed yard, um, they're leveraging uh, heterosis. They may not be maximizing heterosis, but they're leveraging heterosis, making sure they've got crossbred cows. Um, and that's where, again, two thirds of the economic value um, comes from. So, you know, I, I hear people talking, well, I got, you know, straight bred cows and I'm making crossbred calves. Well, I'm like, Step one done. Um, the, the important thing is step two, and that is making sure you got crossbred cows. And step three is figuring out how to keep crossbred cows, which is, you know, we talk about the the sort of progression of, of managerial thought relative to, to crossbreeding and the place where people get derailed is they started off with a crossbreeding plan and about the time they got to buy the second set of bulls, they forgot about their plan. Um, and so making sure that, that you've got a trajectory so that you can manage um, heterosis um, and keep crossbred cows uh, is a really critical step to capturing the value of, of the system. This may be a little out in the weeds, but do you ever see any conflict between trying to really maximize the heterosis? And I know, you know, maximizing maybe isn't what we're always going for but trying to maximize that heterosis and achieving a consistent calf crop as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think there, there can, there can be some, some conflict there if it's not, um, not managed right. Um, you know, we know in the, in the data, in fact, the, the, the clay center guys early on um, demonstrated that actually there's, there's less variation in F1 calves um, than there are in, you know, if you take the breadth of let's pick two breeds that are divergent for a trait, um, when you cross them, the additive genetics part forces the mean to the middle. Mm-hmm. And even though the the distribution around that mean is relatively the same in the crossbred cows or calves um, versus the straight breads, the variation from end to end in the two populations is actually narrower, right? So you you get the advantage of uh, of that contraction. Um, so you know, there's a there's a, a you know, Rumor is not the right word, a myth that, you know, crossbreeding generates variation. Um, And my response typically is only if you let it, right? Um, If if you are undisciplined and put in, you know, 10 breeds and shake them up, you know, like play Yahtzee, um, yeah, you're going to get all kinds of stuff out the back end. But if you have discipline and uh, and focus in the system, you can build a very very consistent calf product um, that checks lots of boxes, um, but you got to be you got to be thoughtful about it. And that's it. You know, we talked earlier about the the complexity faced by small producers versus large producers, and um, using the right uh, breeding system and tool helps really manage that. I want to kind of swing over to the other end of our producer spectrum a little bit and talk about seed stock operators mm-hmm. and what their role is in helping to provide that heterosis and how you envision a seed stock producer fitting into this puzzle? Yeah, great, uh, great question. And uh, um, I think it's 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 a little, well, it's, it's complicated a bit, but I think if, if, if you step back as 
um, the seed stock producer and figure out that there's really two hats here to think about. And, and one is, um, how do I build a product that meets my customer's need? Okay. And answer that question definitively. Uh, and the, the other piece is then, and, and they're sort of juxtaposed a little bit, um, as a seed stock producer, um, how important is it that I leverage heteros, right? So there's two um, two opportunities here. One is to build a product that that optimally benefits my customer, which should be a, as a seed stock vendor a priority, right? As a as a business principle, um, but as a corollary business principle is maybe as a seed stock producer, how do I get to leverage um, heterosis in my operation? Because at the end of the day, phenotype in the seed stock operation pays bills too, right? Getting cows bred and so forth um, is important. Um, so we can use um, um, you know some industry examples um, uh, as ways to think about this. Um, you know, if you're going to sell um, uh, bulls into a commercial uh, cow calf operation um, that have straight bred cows, um, and they want to enter into the um, hybrid vigor heterosis uh, discussion. Typically, their first best purchase is oftentimes um, a high percentage bull of another breed. So think purebred or full blood. Um, they make F1 calves and they get the maximal amount of, of heteros out of that breed fractions are 50-50. We know that's the, 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 the magic number for generating the most, most heterosis in that calf. Um, so as a seed stock producer, you're you're basically producing a straight bread, so you don't get any advantage of the crossbreeding. Your customer gets all of it, okay? Um, but that customer over time, you know, they're going to have a set of cows they mate, and they'll use that bull, you know, three, four, five years, whatever the case is, um, until they get to a spot where they can't keep that bull from mating daughters. And so depending on size, you know, the, the life expectancy of the bull is a little bit different. Um, but they're going to have to have a step two in the system. Um, and step two can take a, a couple of different flavors. Um, and one that I think is often underutilized by our commercial cow-calf producers is buying commercial replacement heifers that meet objectives in terms of breed fraction and production background. Um, that's a really convenient way to, to, to handle replacement females. Um, and I can either be buying heifers um, or buying, you know, two-year-old, three-year-old four-year-old cows. Okay. Um, there's no rule in the, in the cow-calf handbook that says everybody shall produce their own replacement heifers. That's, that's not a requirement. Um, and in fact, there's, there's, you know, some operating, in fact, in Nebraska, there's, there's some really forward thinking mm -hmm. commercial guys um, that they actually sell a whole bunch of their five and six-year-old cows um, as a way to manage depreciation in their operation. Um, but they generate really high quality females that go out in, in you know, the latter part of high production part of their life, spend it somewhere else, working for somebody else. Um, so you don't even have, you don't even have to buy, you know, open heifers, um, buy bred cows or buy three and ones. There's all kinds of opportunities to do that. Um, the um, uh, other other piece to think about here is, is the commercial producer then is if you're not going to buy replacement heifers, how do you keep heterosis in your cow herd? Um, and you know, one of the optimal um, kind of percentages, if, if you're going to stay in a two breed system, is this 50-50. Um, you retain 50% of the heterosis moving forward. So if you mate half blood, um, we'll use say limb flex bulls to limb flex cows, I get half the heterosis of an F1 
in perpetuity. Okay. Um, now half is not a hundred percent, but half is also not zero, which is, you know, the de facto standard is not everybody's going to maximize heterosis. The de facto standard is we're going to have zero percent heterosis. We're going to have straight red cows um, because it's convenient. Um, convenient oftentimes is expensive too, right? So, um, so the second part here is that you've got to buy bulls then that either fit your breeding system. And so you might think about a three-way cross to build your cows, um, use composite bulls or half-blood bulls, um, three-quarter blood bull. There's there's all kinds of strategies that if you take the optimization route um, versus the, the maximization. Um, optimization often comes at the expense of, of heterosis, but it comes with the benefit of convenience. So, you know, turning out bulls that have the breeding system built in, these composite kinds of bulls, um, is, is a real simple and popular way to kind of manage the maternal heterosis in your cow herd. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm a big fan because it's easy, right? It's no, it's not harder to turn out a composite bull than it is a straight bred bull. Okay, so the, the commercial guy gets a lot of benefit. So as seed stock breeder, okay, I got two potential markets, right? I can sell straight bred bulls to guys that have straight bred cows, make first cross. But then if I want to keep selling them bulls, I got to make a product that meets their needs for breeding system built in. Um, and, you know, some some guys um, manage that um, uh, in other ways as a seed stock vendor. So I have two different sets of purebred bulls, right? So maybe sell Angus bulls and Hereford bulls, for example, or Simmental and Angus bulls um, and crosses thereof. There's lots of ways to think about a business plan that keeps your customer's breeding system simple um, and uh, optimal relative to sort of breed complementarity uh, and, and heterosis. I think a lot of that, too just comes back to knowing your customer, you know, hearing you talk about all these different ways that you can help work in those programs. You're going to have to know your customer, have it's those amazing. conversations. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing when you go out and you, know, you, you, you make an appointment and you show up at a customer's place and go, Hey, what's, what's working for you? What, what are my, my products that you've purchased? What, what's their strengths? And then, you know, have, have the, the intestinal fortitude to ask the hard questions about how could they be better? Right. right. What, what what do we need to improve uh, to make your life easier, more profitable, blah, whatever. Right. Um, and actually listen. OK, um, that's uh, you know, it's, it's it, otherwise it's just lip service. Right. We went and we visited our customers. Great. Well, if you don't do anything about it, you haven't haven't improved your customers lives. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of value in in listening to the customer. Well, I really appreciate how much time you've given us today. I, it was so generous of you to come on here. And, well, my, and... my pleasure. This is one of my favorite topics. And, uh, um, you know, you give a, a professor time to um, philosophize a little bit. And it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's uh, a good engagement. I, I really like these kinds of conversations a lot. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Herford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.